is listening, guys. Welcome back. My name is Grayson Mann, and this is the Man with the Plan podcast, episode 74. Joining us today, he's a Patriots beat writer for the Boston Herald. It is Andrew Callahan. Andrew, welcome to the show. How are you doing, man? Doing well. How are you, Grayson? I am great. I'm ready to talk some Patriots football. But first, I actually want to get into how you got your start into journalism. What drew you to the profession, and how has it evolved in the time that you've been just doing it, writing stories? Has the deadlines and stuff changed? Just walk us through that process. Sure. Well, I think my story starts out pretty much a lot like other uh, sports journalists where you love playing sports as a kid. And at some point you realize you're not going to make it much further beyond middle uh, or high school. And so, you know, for me, I went to University of Connecticut uh, where I actually grew up, you know, a couple miles outside of campus in stores. And, you know, naturally with UConn, basketball is the big draw. But I was a football guy growing up. So I got in touch with some people at the football program, learned what it might be like to go into coaching. And sometime junior or senior year just decided that kind of lifestyle wouldn't be for me. But luckily along the way, I was still involved with the student newspaper, student radio station. And so once I graduated with a degree in psych and in comm, it was kind of trying to pick between the two and um, ended up picking writing. It felt a little bit more stable, but you know, having not had an internship during that time, because I didn't know what I wanted to do and I actually wanted to coach, you know, I had to intern back at my parents' house after college. So lived with them for a while, wrote for free at SB Nation, um, caught on, you know, as I wrote and covered UConn football with someone who covered them professionally. And they said, hey, we have a high school opening. If you're interested, interviewed, got the job, stayed in Connecticut, did that for about nine months, uh, three or four years in Pennsylvania, and then back here to New England for the Patriots since, uh, since 2018. That's awesome, dude. So how has the uh, journalism industry evolved as like over time? especially as we're getting more digital, we're using things like Twitter and stuff to get information. Has that changed the way you write stories or how does that work? Yeah, Twitter for me, thankfully, was always a part of the process, right? Like I was in school, I think when it started booming, I graduated from UConn in 2013. So, you know, I was on that just for fun, 2010, 2011, 2012. And then, you know, you start to use it as a reporting tool. And so it's evolved since then where in 2013, when I'm covering UConn football, and there are as many people watching at home as there are in the stadium, which is to say not very many, you know, I might be typing out play by play. Now we know no one should be doing that on Twitter on 2022 because you can watch it from your phone, your laptop, your TV, whatever. So, you know, Twitter's always been a part of it. I think it's just the size of the articles that come out. You know, obviously we're not writing for print anymore. You know, you're not, I, I am, but most people are not. You're not trying to fill space in the newspaper. You can have an article that's hundred words. So-and-so says something crazy on Instagram. Boom, that's a story. Maybe 10 years ago, that wasn't the case. And if it was, you'd have to really flesh it out. So it's kind of adjusting to the times. Everything's a little bit smaller and, and quicker. Oh, I, yeah, I feel like with a Twitter, everything, like the information comes so quick. So you, is it more about like getting the information out quicker or is it about that quantity or that quality over quantity type thing? Well, you have to be right. That That's a starting point. I mean, that's always, you know, I, and I didn't go to journalism school, but uh, sources who did uh, tell me that, you know, that's a big debate, right? Because you want to have the news, but you don't want to be so thorough in the fact that by the time you get it out, it's not news. And so you need to be right. That's always a starting point. You need to decide that way. Um, but, you know, you have to package it always in the most concise, you know, clear way possible. Part of it is, you know, the attention span of the average person in 2022, but also, you, know, you can't take so long to get into your point that people miss it. So that's always been an emphasis. And I think it's kind of just moved up, you know, your list of priorities, if you will, you know, because we're all working in a smaller space online. Yeah, it is certainly like, 
I look at things like on Twitter, like all like Wojnarowski, Schefter, the big guys, they can get information out so quick and like hundred percent of the 99% of the time they're right. And it's just so incredible with sources and journalism, how it is just so, it just fascinates me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think too, you know, the work and they'll tell you this and I can tell you from the, the little reporting I've done, you know, in relation to them, it, it's certainly grown over the last few years. The work that you do leading up to that tweet is much more than the 280 characters or whatever that that news comprised of, right? Like you don't get the person to text you or give you a call to say, hey, this is happening or get a tip or have some sort of idea if you haven't built those relationships beforehand. So, you know, whatever it might be, the draft in the NFL or free agency in the NBA or any of these times when the news is getting really big, you've done a lot of the groundwork leading up to that moment where it is impressive and the news comes out so quickly, but really the process of producing that news really began months, if not years earlier. Yeah. So we're going to just move in for our uh, Patriot stuff. And you being a beat writer for the Boston Herald, you have a stream of information, especially with Patriots football. And at this time, it's the off season. The combine starts next week and the draft. This is the draft season, essentially. So what are some areas that New England can look to address as this type of this off season moves forward, whether that's in the coaching staff, whether it's target free agents or just players we need to resign? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of overlap there, right? Because if you don't sign certain players in certain positions, let's say, um, you know, J.C. Jackson at corner, let's say he leaves town, you have a real big need there. They're arguably even with J.C. Jackson still in town, if you put, you know, re-sign the long-term deal or if you get the franchise tag, you'd still like to bolster that depth because it became a weakness for them late in the season. So corner, I think, is one of those areas of need. I think wide receiver, which has been true since I started covering the team really in 2018. Yeah. And then, you know, you could look at linebacker where, you know, they were exposed and at long time been a little bit slow there in the middle. Dante Hightower, Juwan Bentley, Kyle Vannoy at times when he's not playing in the edge. And I don't think they'll address that as a priority that we all make it seem to be because they've answered that in a couple of different ways. But I feel, I still think with Hightower and Bentley being free agents, you need to add bodies there. So I think those are three top areas whether you go to the draft or free agency that you'll see the Patriots address here in the coming weeks. Yeah. So obviously the center of this season has been all about Mac Jones and his performance. How does he stack up against the other rookie quarterbacks? Arguably he had the best year out of all of them. He was solid, but what should fans expect from him in year two? Should he, will he take a Joe Burrow type leap where he really elevates his play and takes his team on a deep playoff run or what should we hope for? What should our expectations be? Yeah, I think the thing to know with Burrow, you know, who, of course, was the number one overall pick undisputed that year. We had Mac Jones, who, yes, was the best among these rookie passers, but was the fifth quarterback taken. And I think, you know, physically is not, you know, worlds away from Joe Burrow, but still not quite as mobile. The arm's not as strong is that Burrow's ascension was tied to what the Bengals did around him. Right. You know, T Higgins grew another year from his rookie season with Joe Burrow. They got Jamar Chase, who obviously he knew in college and breaks all these rookie receiver records. So you need to elevate the group around Mac while also asking him to do that for himself. And I think it'll depend on what they do at receiver. But I think ultimately, when you look at Mac, I think he'll be stronger to the finish. He's talked recently about this was the longest year of my life coming yeah. off of a full season in Alabama, straight to the draft process, straight to becoming a professional. You get the starting job. And then lo and behold, the longest NFL season ever. <laughs> so he'll be better down the stretch. He knows everything that's coming now, but I think his, his deep ball, I think needs some refinement. And that's some areas where guys like Nelson Aguilar are disappointed. Sure. But again, like we talked about the connection between Burrow and Chase helping elevate Chase or elevate Burrow, excuse me, this season, you know, 
Aguilar was dragged down a little bit last year because Mac Jones couldn't get on the ball, even at the same rate on deep throws that he got it to guys like Kendrick Bourne. So if Mac Jones improves in that area, he not only, you know, makes himself look better, but he elevates Aguilar and guys around. Yeah. He certainly built like a rapport with players like Jacoby Myers. And then you had Kendrick Bourne, who was really a surprise for a lot of people. And for Aguilar, it was just, he's always been up and down. Like he'll have one really good year and then he'll kind of drop off. And it was, Kind of like I was listening to a couple of things. It was kind of like that this year, like just this, the production wise. But for standout players in 2021, did you have a couple that really surprised you? Or were there somebody that you were really hoping that took that next step and really showed out for you? One for me was Ted Karras, who was not really designed to be in that rotation and the offensive line and ended up being a real standout. Yeah, Ted, Ted's always been a really solid player. And part of that's tied to his versatility. You know, he can play either guard position or center. And then I think the thing for me that stood out for Ted is he replaced a guy, Mike Wenu, who by the end of the 2020 season, you know, sure, he's a six round rookie, but that dude was one of their top 10 best players in the roster. And yeah, again, that was a poor roster, but that's a player from a rookie to year two, you expect to make that proverbial year two leap, right? But <clears throat> excuse me, he gets healthy and Wenu does. And he doesn't get back on the starting lineup. Ted stays there. So, yeah, I would put Ted in that group. I'd say Matt Judon, honestly, like, sure, he's the highest paid defender in Patriots franchise history. But the jump that he made, you know, setting and matching his career high in sacks right away and the most sacks of any player under Belichick in Patriots history, you know, was more than anyone expected. Um, you know, Kendrick Bourne, I think, is in that group, too, where, you know, they got him at a good deal. I think he was a guy who's underlying kind of analytics belied, you know, what people saw as an average receiver. And here you see he's got kind of a ceiling as a number two. So I'd say Judon and Bourne were pleasant surprises, just like Karras. And especially for these new guys where, you know, Karras was in his second stint, but you don't know what you're going to get in a player until he gets in your building. And obviously they hit two home runs with Judon and Kendrick Bourne. Yeah, you addressed a corner as specific weakness. And I would certainly agree because you would go to those Bills games and especially with like Isaiah, players like Isaiah McKenzie, you wouldn't expect to, stand out with Miles Bryant specifically did you see an improvement from him this year because he had a lot of playing time and him like him and Jalen Mills who I didn't really expect much from I guess exceeded my expectations but I don't know how low the bar was set for them right yeah so Miles Bryant being a second year guy undrafted of course in 2020 didn't play a whole lot and I think when you have a smaller sample it's harder to get exposed you know and his best play was also the one you most remembered from his rookie season, the spectacular interception he had covering the right flag against the Rams on Thursday night. So when you think about that, you've got a flashbulb memory. Okay, he has to pick against the Rams. We didn't see a whole lot of him, but he was doing good things. Then he gets more opportunity here. And sure, he makes an improvement. But as much as Miles Bryant can really hone his skills, at the end of the day, he's still about five, eight and a half. And, you know, he's working in the slot, an area where he's splitting his snaps where he, between that area and safety. So you don't really get to master one particular area. And when you're playing a team like the Bills, who Isaiah McKenzie is a great player in space and maybe not the most refined receiver, but obviously Owen Bryant in those matchups. So I think Bryant played better than expected because it's just he's an undrafted kid. And you don't know what to expect, but it's still not someone you want to rely on full time. And I think they'll address that. Jalen Mills, I'll tell you, surprised the Patriots themselves with how solid he was even going back to that week four matchup against the Bucs, where he shadows Chris Godwin that entire game. And Godwin has, I think it was just three catches. So I talked to Jalen about that middle of the season, and he feels right at home. It's a scheme where they do a lot of different things. But I think, again, you know, you wouldn't want him coming back as your number one. Even as your number two is a little bit shaky, but if you have better depth behind him, you feel okay. And that was the problem. Miles Bryant was on the field because Jonathan Jones got hurt. And then, of course, when Mills is out in that game against the Bills in the wild card round, Jones is still gone. 
and Bryant's your only guy left. So that's, yeah. that's why they were really in trouble. Yeah, and I think for a, a guy like J- Jalen Mills, when he signed him, I viewed him as a gadget guy that could come in on certain packages because we had, at the time, we had Gilmore, and at the time we had, well, Gilmore in air quotes because we didn't really know how that contract situation would work out. But we had Jonathan Jones in the slot, and then you had JC, who's obviously been a standout. So I thought, okay, he comes in on specific packages, and he does what he can with his ath- athleticism. But him playing the second corner, I don't think that's, yeah, like you said, a plan that the Patriots ideally want to use in the future. For me, I hope that uh, Andrew Booth is still on the draft boards. I'm hoping. That would be a hope. But I want to go back to week four and that big, just unbelievable, the tension in this matchup. Tom Brady comes back to New England, and his offseason, his retirement has been one of the biggest stories. But I want to go back to that game. What was it like for the community for Tom Brady to return? What was the energy like? Because on the TV, you could feel just the, it was, it, it almost felt like a playoff game. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was electric and it was electric throughout the course of the week. Because what I remember honestly about that week is, you know, obviously the game is what it was. It was raining. You know, the Patriots had just gotten spanked by the saints at home. If they fall to one on three, they're in trouble. Brady obviously wants revenge, but the Friday before, you know, NBC nightly news is hosting the show from Gillette stadium. The today show is at Gillette stadium. And a lot of that is just NBC doing cross-platform promotion, right? Because they have the right to Sunday night football, get more people to watch. You might only otherwise watch nightly news of today show, but it was a big enough event where you had the greatest quarterback of all time and the greatest coach going head to head and having a 20 year shared history, which was unparalleled in terms of success in the entire league. So there was so much buildup to it. And I think for me, it lived up to it. And the idea that this was never going to be the sharpest game it's week four, it's really still an extension of the preseason, but it was competitive and you had some comeback elements, not only from Brady, but from the Patriots. And, you know, it ended in some, obviously the rain, driving rain. And I think it was a 56 yard attempt. I think I would have liked to have seen Mac Jones take a shot at fourth and three, but that gets swallowed up in everything that was Brady and Belichick. And the fact that they two met up, you know, in the locker room after for, you know, a time that none of us will ever know whatever was said, I think really put a nice bow on what was really just a week that had a ton of hype and build up an electricity and ended up living up to it, in my opinion. And even, even though New England lost to kind of show that they were will, they were a team that I feel like in 2020 with Cam Newton, that would have been just a disaster with Mac Jones, with that roster. It felt like the team was making strides and improvements. And it looked like Mac Jones, the moment wasn't too big for him because that was one where it's like, all right, let's see how he handles his, basically the guy that was, all you look at the six Super Bowl banners, you just see everything. That's the guy that came before you. How do you live up to that? And he went both he went blow for blow with Brady in a sense. Yeah, it's it's a good point too, because that was the thing about Mac, because he was never, you know, he was always poised. And that could have been the SEC championship game in college, or could have been the national championship game or the national semifinal. And he was always calm, cool, and collective, which is what you want. And and not only was just Brady the guy who came before him. He was the guy that Mac molded himself after dating back to middle school. And, you know, I've reported on this soon after the way that, you know, they drafted Mac, of course, last year. And just he would carry Brady's combine photo around when people go, oh, you're just, you know, 6'2", 6'3". You're kind of a string bean. You're not athletic. And he would go, look, this is the greatest of all time. We've all seen the photo. He's sure. Yes. And Brady looks, there's nothing impressive about him. He's not (laughs) defined at all. And Mac goes, that's the greatest of all time. I've still got six years then as a high school kid to catch up and make the NFL. So there was part of that tie in that too. And yes, I, you know, I think the Patriots might've run for negative rushing yards that night. Like it was just apparent they're going nowhere in the ground. And that was always the, the strength and the power of the Cam Newton offense. So, you know, it might've been disastrous. It might not have, they still held the bucks just to 19 points. 
Um, but there was no doubt that even in defeat, the defense left that game going, okay, we can hang with not only Tom Brady, but the reigning Super Bowl champs. And offensively, this kid might be all right. Yeah, it was it was a really fun game. I had everybody over. We had a lot of people were saying this could be a blowout, man. Are you ready for this? And I was like, you know what? I, I'm, I'm, I'm confident, guys. But I want to get your thoughts on we're going to move forward to that Monday night football game in Buffalo. After that, it felt like the team and I heard something that stuck with me. Is this team ahead of schedule? And after that, they go, they're nine and four. They finish the season 10 and seven and have the Buffalo wildcard game that just trying to remove from memory. But uh, what, how did, what were your thoughts on that end of season? Did it, does it feel like a collapse per se, or did it feel like a team that was ahead of schedule, but showed enough that in 2022, they should be ready to go? Yeah, it's a little bit of both, right? I think because, you know, they were not definitively the number one team in the AFC, which is how they finished that Monday night game where they beat the Bills, they're nine and four, and they go into their bye, you know, where they're going to hold on to that number one seed. They they might have been, you know, had the best record, but as we saw, even Kansas City and, and Buffalo, who we thought might have been the best teams in the conference, didn't even make the Super Bowl. Of course, it comes Cincinnati. So the gap between number one and number six in the AFC was always you know, small enough where anyone could jump up and later did the Titans, the Pats, the Chiefs uh, as the season wore on. So some regression was expected, but to go one and four in your only victory in that stretch is against Jacksonville. However big of a blowout that was, it was definitely disappointing. And guys have since talked about the energy was a little bit different and it wasn't they work. They weren't working as hard, but it felt like they might have had another gear, another level to go to, which you need in the playoffs, which at that yeah. point, that's what it was. You, you had everything you wanted with the bye week, the number one seed and divisional games against the Bills and Dolphins down the stretch and you let it all go. So, yeah, it was it was definitely partially a collapse. But as I mentioned before, Mac also played appreciably worse over those last five games. I think if part of it was fatigue. You're playing better defenses and there's more tape on you. So that's also something you know that should have been expected in retrospect though there were certainly avoidable mistakes like they had against Indy and then down in Miami when they fall down early and just can't get out of that hole. Yeah, it was twice in Indianapolis and Miami where they'd fall down. Like it was 27 to 10 and then 20 to zero in those situations. Mm -hmm. They claw their way back and we see that Patriots football, but it's just too late because you didn't have enough time. You didn't put enough together. But I do have a question for you. And I, I this has been kind of in my head about Mac Jones. After that Buffalo game where he only throws three passes, I was like, this could really throw his rhythm off, just going through game to game and just having an entire week of prep only to just hand off the ball. It ended up working, and hey, whatever the game plan is, whatever is whatever it is. But did you think only throwing three passes and then having a bye week just kind of maybe shut his rhythm off a little bit and it just kind of took something out of that rookie season and that momentum? Does that, does that make any sense to you? Yeah, I hear what you're saying, and I think it speaks to the last word that you said, the, the idea of momentum week to week, which a lot of people talk about, you know, how can you carry over, and people in the media, people that I work alongside ask the same question, you get a big win, how can you carry that momentum today into next week, and I think the answer you'll most often get is the right one for these guys, is that we don't carry that momentum, or in this case, you're talking about rhythm, from one game to another, because those games in that situation are separated by at least six or seven or sometimes 13 days. You need to carry it into the next day. How are you going to work the next day? How are you going to throw? How are you going to approach your work? How are you going to invest yourself to make sure that you're still performing at a high level? Because the way we see this, you know, if you're not in the media, you see them on Sundays. And that's why you ask the question, how can you take this from next week to the next time I see you, which is going to be in the game? But there's so much time in practice and preparation and meetings where if you were just to blow off that whole week, you've lost all that quote unquote rhythm or momentum. 
So my long answer is to say no, because I think at that point, rest really would have done Mac some good. It was just a matter of, like I said, playing better defenses down the stretch, the fact that they did what they thought was best, and he was always going to get that next break. So however you want to phrase it, rhythm, momentum, or whatever, that's always up to the player, and it doesn't go from, you know, leaping one week to the next. It's always one day to the next and how you take that energy and that confidence moving forward. Yeah, that's a really interesting way that you put it because a lot of we just see it from Sunday to Sunday and in some cases Monday and Thursday and even COVID cases Tuesday and Wednesday. But uh, that, that is a really good point because we don't see them from practices on Monday to Friday and the film meetings and all that. that is, I actually really haven't thought of that much. That, right. Well, that I'm you have to really case, think about right? it. Yeah, yeah, if you get an A in an exam, you, you take on Monday. And then how are you going to carry this into your next exam, which is two or three weeks away? A, the material is totally different, which is true of their preparation, right? <clears throat> you play the Dolphins one week, you play the Bills the next. It's a totally different team with a totally different you know, skill set. You can't blow off studying in the week or two or three between your next exam and expect, I'm going to get an A just because I got an A in the last one. That's, a, that's the same thing that they're dealing with. Yeah, that's, that's really a, that's a good way to put it. So last question, then I'm going to give you just a couple rapid fire fun questions before we wrap up. So obviously the, the, the team to beat in the division is the Buffalo Bills with Josh Allen. What would you say is the wish list or the checklist that New England has to do to take up back the AFC East next year? I think it's got to start on really, you know, the most important areas of, of football and kind of the modern league, which is, you know, passing offense and passing defense, which sounds really simple. But, you know, we, we went back to what the Patriots need to do this offseason corner and receiver, the top two needs. And that goes not only just against the Bills, but against anybody else. So I think what they need to do is retain enough of their offensive line, whether it's Ted Karras or Trent Brown, who's obviously also a free agent and right tackle, and keep your strengths. But then start to fill in the weaknesses around those because you're going to have a, a player in Mac Jones who's on a very cheap rookie contract for the next three, four, or years. And you need to invest in the positions around him and elevate those. So I think you need to get better downfield and not allow teams to creep towards the line of scrimmage, not only stop your run game, but the short passing game that he prefers. And I think you got to get stronger at corner because they shifted by playing more zone in the second half of the season with their defense. And for a while, that kept them atop the rankings in terms of the best defenses, you know, in the NFL. But we saw the way that, you know, Miami shredded them and obviously Buffalo did twice. Just playing zone isn't going to be something that can paper over all your problems. You need better personnel in that secondary and a linebacking core. So that's really just, it's a, it's kind of a simple and lame answer, but just better players at premium positions, I think is the only way you win. No, yeah, I absolutely uh, see where you're going. And I, for me, it was seeing that game with Josh Allen and the, his ability to extend the plays. I just feel like we need more speed at linebacker to be able to find somebody that can just establish a tone. Someone said, I, it, and that's no like shot against like Judon or Kyle Van Nowhere, Danta, but just getting a guy that can almost like a Micah Parsons type player that can just blow off the ball, have a lot of speed and be able to take Allen down and kind of move them behind the sticks. Cause they're always able to get third and two second and two and just really make their drives a lot easier. So is that, is that something that you are potentially looking for with your draft analysis or are you looking at a different area like corners or safeties yeah, no, I think speed and linebacker. I mean, that's something I think fans have been clamoring for and even media self included for a while now. And they just refuse to do it because they prefer these kind of downhill run first, at least six to 240 pound linebackers who can meet offensive linemen and shed those blocks. Now, there is a trickle down effect. And the first part is I think the Patriots have started to get a little bit lighter when you look at the players they've drafted. You go back to Elaine Roberts in 2016. He tops out at six foot flat. He might be 230, 235. And that, that is a solid dude having talked to him in person. 
But even go back to last year, Cameron McGrown out of Michigan, I think also topped out at about 230. Now, these are late round picks. So you're not filling every single, you know, ideal measurement for your prototype that you have listed for every position. But I think they're willing to get a little bit smaller and lighter at linebacker. So that will be a possibility. The other part about that is, though, they played a base nickel defense, as a lot of other teams have around the league, um, in order to get faster for the reasons that you mentioned, mobile quarterbacks and, and better players over the middle of the field. But what they do that's different is that they'll put one of their extra safeties in the box as a linebacker. Pat Chung did this for years. Adrian Phillips has done this mm -hmm. the past two years. And so what you do when you do that is sacrifice some of your run defense, you know, for that, that passing defense, either as a spy or someone who's covering over the middle or covering a running back. Now, you can offset that weakness in run defense if your defensive tackles do their job and plug two gaps up the middle. That's something that also faltered down the stretch of the Patriots. So this is all interconnected. I think, yes, more speed at linebacker is good. The way they've tried to, you know, get around that, I think, has worked. But then it might require them to beef up front. So where we all say more linebackers, faster linebackers, their resolution might be we're going to take 360-pound Jordan Davis out of Georgia – who can be a two-gapping D-tackle, who we believe can have some pass rush potential, understanding that if he does his job next to Devon Godchow, that will stop the run, and we don't have to worry about Adrian Phillips getting run over at the second level, who by himself is giving us more speed. Yeah, and Adrian Phillips, is uh, he's one of my, like, in the last two years, he's been one of my favorite players. He just gets in there. He's an unbelievable, just unbelievable guy, like tackle or two. Is, he's so much fun to watch, but we're going to move on to some just fun, fun questions at the end before we wrap up. Is there a Patriots game that you can remember since you've been covering or just in recent memory that it was just your favorite spectacular memory? You can include Super Bowls if you want, but if there's a regular season game that you just were like, oh my gosh. Like for me, one of them yeah. was the Pittsburgh game where we had the uh, Jesse James situation. Like when Gronkowski went ballistic in that final drive. Oh, and 17, 17. Yeah, right. I was going to, I was going to say 18, but I remember that game was not very pleasant. That was the uh, Super Bowl year two or that 24 zero against Denver Brady coming back with the, uh, the underdeveloped roster, especially at receiver with Edelman had kind of a breakout game there. Those are just a couple. So what was a Patriots game that was just unbelievable for memory? Yeah, I think, uh, so I joined the beat in 2018 and that ended in a Super Bowl title, which is, you know, you always look back and people say this, you kind of wish, you know, you were in the good old days when you're there because that's yeah. my first season. It was never going to get better than that. And I had a phenomenal time covering that season, but people forget that, you know, they, I mean, the Super Bowl at the end, obviously was kind of a clunker, especially among the ones that they played and won. Um, the regular season matchup they had with the Chiefs. And I think it was week six, week six or seven. Yes. Um, which was a preview of the AFC championship game. My answer is that AFC championship game, 37, 31 in Arrowhead, but the back and forth 43, 40 on Sunday night football was some of the most fun that I've ever had in that environment. And two of the best teams that I still have seen since I started covering the NFL. Uh, and that Sunday night football game, I think it was my first, it was, uh, it's definitely up there with any other regular season game I cover. Yeah. And that was one of those new kid on the block versus Belichick because the chiefs had just kind of come out of nowhere and Mahomes was unbelievable that year. That was a game where it was just rapid fire. There was so much happening. Brady was had that one play where he shrugged off the sack and dived in the end zone for that touchdown. I, it was that was so much. Gosh, all the memories are just coming back. I yeah. enjoy this so much. Not but, a good one. Yeah. So besides obviously Brady and company, who is a player that you've enjoyed interviewing or covering or talking to? Because there's obviously a lot. But do you have one that stands out to you? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, there are definitely a handful of good guys, and it's tough because we've not been in the locker room the last two seasons, so you, you yeah. miss the interactions day to day. But I'll give you a few names, um, including, you know, someone we just talked about. I was going to say Adrian Phillips. He's a really good player. He's an even better, more regular dude, even via Zoom, where you can kind of put on a little bit. It's easier to get away with your cliche or whatever answers. But he is honest. And honestly, that's all we're ever looking yeah. for. We have questions during our sessions. And he shoots you straight. So Adrian Phillips is someone you can talk about football with, non-football topics. You know, he just had a kid. And he's like, look, I just lost to Buffalo. That was embarrassing. And he's saying what everyone else won't. But I'm also looking forward to being a dad. And that's a guy who, you know, you know is being honest about that. Um, Deron Harmon, another safety. He's been gone for a couple of years. Yeah. That was another guy in the locker room where, you know, we're talking about, like honestly going bald at some point or him having kids or he was, he, I gave a commencement speech in my high school a couple of years back and he had done so. So he was giving me some tips about what that's kind of like. So it's just things where you can go up and, and talk to these guys where obviously there's kind of a professional, you know, player journalist relationship, but the way you build on those is just to put, you know, those titles down and just go, look, we're, we're two guys talking and that yeah. could be at a bus stop. It could be in a football locker room. It could be in a classroom wherever, but that's how you build some sort of connection. So it's, it's funny that I would include Adrian in that because, again, I just, you know, I've seen him in person a few times, but it's always a press conference setting. Uh, but Jerron, Jerron was a good hang and a good guy to talk to, especially my first two years on the beat. Yeah, so the last question I want to um, ask you, if the Patriots weren't, like, if covering the Patriots wasn't an option, is there a team that you've really been looking at and be like, man, if I had to cover them instead of knowing when, that would be fun? <laughs> um, it's a complicated question. Uh I, you know, the one team that comes to mind now is the Chargers, which is weird, right? Because they have to have one of the three smallest fan bases in the entire right. league, but <laughs> a very media friendly coach and where I don't mean like he's taking us out to dinner or anything like this, but this is a guy who is going to tell you everything about the process of what he's thinking up into, Hey, here's the game plan and understands that there's, you know, value in being open, not just with the media, because we're just a conduit for the fans. But in, you know, propelling the game forward by letting you in a little bit, knowing, you know, I don't have to give you the game plan, but I can tell you how we rely on analytics, why we don't, this player and that. So, and they also have an ascending quarterback in Justin Herbert. So that's a team where, you know, yeah. they might not be, you know, in the title mix every year, but you're going to have a lot of exciting games. They're going to be in the thick of the playoff hunt. And yeah, living in Los Angeles, especially right now where I look outside of six inches of snow, we're going <laughs> suck. So I, I definitely take them. But I mean, you know, another high profile market, Dallas would be a lot of fun. That's super competitive. I think Ooh. we have the most competitive beat here in New England. You know, better weather. Jerry Jones is always talking like it's just where there isn't as much of an effort, I'll say, as you have here in New England to to not be interesting is open, which is their prerogative. That's how Belichick operates. Obviously, they've had a lot of success doing it. But where you just go to a place where things are a little less high, you know, I don't want to say high strung, but a little less tense and people a little bit more relaxed to be themselves like Adrian Phillips, I think, uh, I think it would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I would be the one like asking Belichick a question. You'd have to like review it like separate times just because he doesn't give you <laughs> much to work with, I imagine. But uh, I would imagine being like asking Belichick questions is like such a just you have like a moment like, oh, my gosh, it's Belichick. But at the same time, when he gives you like a two word answer, you're like, ah, that's great. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time my first couple of years, you know, formulating exactly how word for word you want to say this. And this is, you know, that was before even now where you could give me a couple categories of questions and just having been in these press conferences for so long, I can tell you generally how he's going to answer. Um, but at the end of all of this thinking and effort and, and sometimes worry, like he's also just doesn't have to say anything. 
So yeah. you'll get him plenty of times. He'll pause for three or four seconds, just go, I don't know. And it's all in the sake of just protecting any sort of competitive advantage because they watch opposing coaches and players do their own press conferences. And something it's not that's you know overtly said, but it gives them a hint or an idea as to what might happen on Sunday with the game plan or some sort of injury availability, and they exploit that. So that's their way of just they're up there playing defense the whole time. I think is the best way to put this. And yeah. you know, at some point, if you're playing defense and you have every advantage, which he does, you just go, I don't know, or next, or whatever he does. So yeah. Um, but he, you know, he definitely will. I think people broad brush talking about Belichick go way deep into certain topics, particularly ones that you know I mentioned, kind of propelling the game forward. He'll go backwards into the history to explain why we only keep a long snapper you know, and that occupies a whole roster spot where that dude does one thing literally all the time and does nothing else and why that's so valuable or what it was like, you know, defending the Niners in the eighties or, you know, the uh, run and shoot offenses, the Oilers, like that, that is an invaluable, unique resource where, you know, it might be a pain some days, but those make it worth it. In addition to the winning and the rides and all the stories you get here. In New England. Yeah. His, his brain is a library. You can go in there and pick out yeah. any like chapter. And he's gone. He has the, the biggest football library in the world down in Annapolis, down in Navy. They keep it for him, the Belichick. Oh, wow. Belichick that's yeah. interesting. That, mm-hmm. That's crazy. What? Thank you so much, Andrew, for all this insight and just a really fantastic interview, you guys. This was the Man with the Plan podcast, episode 74, wrapping it up with our interview with Patriots beat writer for the Boston Herald, Andrew Callahan. Do you have anything else you want to add before we wrap up? No, this was fun, man. Keep keep doing your show. And um, I think the Patriots, you know, they keep me busy. So uh, for people, fans, I think next year is going to be a good season. Lots of good storylines. And even now going to Vegas where you're going to see Josh McDaniels. That's a game, not a lot of storylines, but um, it's going to be a really good slate. So, yeah, just uh, stay tuned. It's the NFL. It's always always something going on. All right, guys. This was our Man Plan podcast interview with Andrew Callahan. Guys, have a fantastic day. Subscribe for more or leave a five-star review to let us know that you enjoyed the show. Thank you guys as always, and take care.